Good evening. Thank you for coming. Deepening our perception. I put on the title Expanding Our Awareness. I wish afterwards I put Widening Our Awareness. Grounding ourselves in truth and love. Now, you can, of course, feel the ground under your feet. I don't know if any of you have ever experienced an earthquake or an earth tremor, which is about the only time when the ground isn't quite what we thought it was. I've not been in a major earthquake. I have experienced tremors. And the tremors were slight, so I didn't have to think of danger. But it was a very weird feeling, very strange, that suddenly the house moved. I was in bed, I remember, in a little hut somewhere, and all the cups started rattling. And it was a very strange feeling. But I have to say also, it was a very beautiful feeling. And so long as we're not reaching the point where we have to worry about our life or our property, I think possibly an earthquake could be a very beautiful experience because it in a way removes the ground from under our feet, the ground that we're used to. It gives us the feeling the earth is a living being, perhaps the earth is moving, is restless, whoever knows. And in actual fact, we know that the continents with the mantle of the earth, all that we know as the hard surface, is actually only floating on a very mobile sphere underneath, the fire of molten metal and so on until we come in the centre to what nobody knows. Nobody knows what's in the centre, there are theories. Now if we can detach ourselves from the usual notion of what the ground is, what solid ground is, we can free ourselves from a lot of things that chain our perception, that bind us to concepts of reality that are only relative, that are not really true. In actual fact, our Earth planet itself is floating, hovering in space. Now, I don't know whether the beginning of this talk makes you already uneasy, or whether it makes you happy, or whether you're not at all interested, but the fact is the human being needs a ground. And happy the human being is who finds that ground in him or herself in a deeper connection with the cosmos, with the creative source of the cosmos, which we can also call God, and can come to the experience the ground in me is in the central core of my being, which is one with the central core, the creative core of the cosmos. This, of course, is the root of all spirituality and all true religious traditions, however they dress it up in whatever words they want to clothe it, and with whatever disciplines uh, they try to achieve this awareness, this union. For Western human beings, it's very good to go through a path that includes a transformation of our perception and experience of the outer world. 
some traditions, especially some Eastern traditions, try rather to distract your attention, take your attention away from the outer world and say, look inwards. That has its validity. But the other is equally necessary. What usually happens is that we do get distracted by the outer world. In fact, there's a wonderful prayer I have from ancient Egypt. I forgot to bring my own papers, by the way, my text, I cannot read it to you. But the prayer goes something like this. It's addressing the Egyptian god, Min Amin, and it says something like this. I enter into your house with great happiness. I am very happy to greet you, O God. You are the dark, mysterious one, but I have joy and strength when I contemplate you. But now this is interesting. But I fear that when I go outside and see the beauty of creation, when I become involved in the world, I will lose you, or I will lose the experience of you. This fear was expressed in this Egyptian prayer. Now in Indian yoga, the classical yoga, there's a stage, the first stage of meditation, which they call pratyahara, which means turning inwards, turning your awareness, your attention, away from the sense world into the inside. Now is that valid for us? Generally in the Western world, and I don't know if this accords with your experience, either of yourself or of people that you know, we have a great fear of turning inwards. Perhaps we are not sure if there's anything there. Where is the inside? If I look inside, what do I look at? Do I look at the inside of my body? What does it mean to look inside? And I know quite a lot of people, including people who consider themselves very spiritual, who are very afraid to look inside. That ground of truth is, this particular time, not to be experienced. There's a barrier of fear there. We can come back to speak of that, perhaps. But, what about the outside world? What about the beauty of creation? And here we are amidst the beauty of creation. And we are exactly in this time, I, I said this on my Monday lecture, we are in the time of the festival of Shambhala. Shambhala being the kingdom of light. I've spoken of this in one or two lectures, so I can't exactly speak of that here, but I'll mention it. The subtle earth, the earth of light, or the etheric body of the earth, that surrounds and penetrates the earth, the home of the masters. You could also say, if you like, the spiritual world that is in connection with the earth. This is what we call Shambhala. And in that time there is a great festival between the May full moon and the June full moon. And the masters, the higher beings, they celebrate there. And they send at this time good impulses to earth humanity. Now, I was just glancing at some of those papers which were written by my teacher and which he wrote about ten years ago, telling of these things, and I came across some sentences where it says, if you want to have contact with Shambhala, if you want to know that this etheric earth, this special uh, sphere, which is invisible to our ordinary senses, if you wish to know this, it really depends on your purity, 
it depends on your love of beauty and appreciation and love for the earth and it also depends on your good thoughts and good will for the earth and he gave instructions something like this look at the earth, look at nature, appreciate and try and think thoughts and gather together with other people to think of thoughts and new impulses that would help the earth and help earthly life now the ancient spiritual culture of Europe including the British Isles and especially the British Isles was as you know a Celtic culture and this was only gradually driven underground so to speak by the Roman Church, Roman Christianity now the Celts had a very highly spiritual relationship to nature as you also probably know and they had wonderful ways of working with nature and wherever the Celts lived and worked nature blossomed and flourished there are still places in Europe especially in France, the south of France also in the British Isles um, I can think of a place in Germany Baden-Baden a town, a rather smart posh town where I lived for a while where right in the centre of the town there's a park with the most amazing trees very old trees ancient, enormous trees uh, uh, species that you find in other parts of the world including wonderful giant redwoods and special kinds of beech trees and so on these are always places where the Celts have worked and have cultivated nature I'll just give you one example of that I said this already in one of my other lectures but it's really something very amazing the Celts also loved to contemplate the full moon and there would be an exercise a meditation that the priests would carry out they would stand and wait for the moon to rise over the horizon they would place their hands so to speak on the horizon where the moon was to rise and they would gaze at that point then as the moon rose they would let their hand and their eyes follow the rising moon higher and higher and higher and higher and they would spend the whole night like this this is what they would do for the whole night what do they gain by that? we can think about that perhaps later perhaps you can imagine yourself but rather than just turning the senses inward they turned the senses in a deeper way outward and in fact it's a very strange thing but when you begin to have deeper experiences spiritual experiences perhaps later some of you can confirm this it's like a kind of turning inside out if you go deeply inwards and out of this inwardness turn outwards to the senses you have very deep experiences or if you turn yourself outwards give yourself to the blue sky to the mountains to nature and somehow turn that inward you also have very deep experiences the outer and the inner begin to mingle in a very special way so this is why I said deepening our perception expanding our awareness grounding ourselves in truth and in love yes I would like to mention one more thing uh, the Celts 
Well, perhaps it was not so much the Celts as the old Rosicrucians. Perhaps the Celts also did this. But when they wanted to initiate somebody, that is to give them experiences that would expand their perception, they would take them to two kinds of places. First of all, up to the peak of a high mountain. So you're right on the top and perhaps below you only saw clouds and perhaps some mountain peaks peering through the clouds. This could not so easily be done in Britain. This must have referred more to what they did in Europe. And above you only the unlimited, the sky. And the other was to take the pupil down into the depths of the earth, into caves, even right into the depths where the mines were. Can you imagine how, if you're open to it, that works on your consciousness, on your whole being, on your whole energy field? Of course, nowadays we're used to everything. And I fly in airplanes all the time. I'm very used to being up above the clouds. I don't go down into caves so much, but one of the great tragedies of our time is that we are losing the capacity for experience. And actually this was the point I wanted to make right at the beginning of this lecture, that with increasing speed we are losing our capacity for experience, we are losing the fullness of sense experience experience our range of consciousness is getting smaller and smaller and smaller but in this small area where we are aware where we are conscious we are crammed full of information this is the problem today in general I'm not saying especially people in this circle no doubt you are already taking steps to go in another direction I'm quite sure of that we wouldn't even be here in this meeting you'd better be off upstairs where I've seen another room prepared for a conference where they have chairs and tables and little notepads and you could receive more information and write it down. Whereas we know that for spiritual activity very often you have to begin to free yourself from information in order that you can experience. So now, despite uh, we all seem to have here company all right never mind it's, it was much better than last time and even then we managed to have some very interesting experiences um, I want to go on to describe to you a Celtic ritual or rather I want to try and carry it out to some extent um, this was a ritual that was told to us by my master we were an assembly of about 50 people in a large room and in a certain way we carried it out but I will describe it like this. You have to find a place, and perhaps there were, are such places or were such places, where you have two caves. You go into one big cave chamber, and then through this you go into another big cave chamber. Now I don't know if you know what the acoustics are like in caves. It can be very, very beautiful. So these were caves specially chosen for their beautiful acoustic and the task was this the person seeking initiation would enter the first cave and would call out the name of God he would call he or she <coughs> this name of God and then he would walk into the second cave and the echo of what he had called out would come back to him 
So this was the task. I, uh, you enter the first cave, call out the name of God, enter the second cave, and it will echo, echo back to you what you have called. Now, they used to take the name of God. You may have heard this name. I don't know if any of you have studied uh, Celtic customs, Celtic history. You probably know much more than I do, but um, I'd like to hear afterwards if you've heard about this. The name that they used to use then for this particular ceremony was Lugu. Lugu, L-U-G-H-U. I've heard that nowadays in Ireland they say Lugu, but it's uh, or Lu, but it's Lugu, which is related to the Greek Logos the creative word, that force which is behind all nature, Lugu. And the call would go Lur, Lugu, Lugui. That would be the invocation. The pupil would go in, would call this, would step further inside, the echo would come back. The echo of his own voice calling upon God. When we did this, we were not in two caves. Uh, but it was done like this. The first cave was represented by a circle of people standing, perhaps about the size of this circle, but they were standing with their backs to the center and their faces, presumably, to the face of the wall of the cave. Then the second circle, in the second, uh, the se in the second cave, they were standing facing the center of the circle and they had their backs to what would have been the cave. Now, we did it like this. The person entered and called out this invocation, Lur Lugu Lugui, entered the second cave, and the group immediately who were standing forming the second cave echoed it back. They sang it immediately back. This was the ritual. Now I'm going to sing this name, and I'm just going to ask you to listen and just this time we will just simply for a moment imagine the echo. any idea what that might have been for an experience? We could try like this. I think maybe I shouldn't ask you to sing these words. I don't know if it would be too hard for you or have you absorbed them. I would also, but if you do it, I would like to remind you it is a name of God. This is not just some kind of groovy experiment. But if you do want to, if you are willing to try this, to sing the echo, then please be aware that this for certain people, the Celtic people, is a holy name, a mantric name. Would you like to try that? What do we have? Okay. No? All right. Okay. Lur, Lugu, Lugui. I will sing it three times, and then altogether 
you can sing it on the same tone, you can use other tones, it doesn't matter. You just sing it back as though I were entering the second cave. So here's the first cave, and because in the first cave the people have their backs to me, try and listen to what I'm singing with your back. Let the vibrations of the tones go into the spine if this is possible. like close your eyes a minute and just feel feel yourself feel the room if you like feel the space alright how was that hmm? it was lovely yes peaceful yes mm-hmm. anything else Strange at all? Not familiar. Ah, familiar. Calming, yes. Very calming, of course it is true. Now when we did it, sometimes the reply was very, very strong. You could imagine a big chorus of 20, 30 people giving this back. But certainly it brings peace. Does it bring for anybody any subtle change in space? or in your body feeling? Yes? How? Yes? Yeah. Yes. Good. Anything else? Are you at all, any of you, in the habit of feeling your body and feeling the space around the body? Yes. Do you sometimes feel that there are differences in the way you feel space? Yes. This is one of the very good ways and easy ways to enter into deeper perceptions, widening experience. Our normal senses do actually reach further than we think. Yes, they don't, well, they're not confined to their normal use. And when I said earlier that our sense experience is becoming ever more and more and more reduced, it's exactly this. We use the senses on the surface for gathering information. And as such, we are less and less and less satisfied. Therefore, we need more and more and more information. Our senses are less and less and less saturated. Therefore, we need more and more and more sense satisfaction. We know this cycle. And we see 
the greater part of the Western world at least, caught in this, and a lot of the modern Eastern world, this frantic search for more surprises, more kicks, more knowledge, and it means less and it clogs us up more. Yeah, yes. Yes. And yet for real experience we need this peace. And this is one of the first steps, one of the first things we learn on the spiritual path is how to bring ourselves to peace. How do we bring ourselves to peace? How do you do that in this world today? Find a place to be Find a place. Yes. And when you find that place and be as quiet as possible, are you quiet? But you are because you've practiced. Yes. 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 I just want to. Yeah, yeah. Yes, would you like to say more about that? You can get information from outside through chatter if you listen. Yeah, mm -hmm. what kind of information? Yeah. Yes, we must be. We'll come back to that point for the moment. Chattering, if you. On the one hand, uh, meditation teachers say ignore the chatter, which is also quite true. The meditative state arises in spite of the chatter. On the other hand, it is important sometimes to look at the chatter and what you're chattering about. And then you now say that information comes from beyond the chatter. All right. What I just wanted to point out to you first, something you know, but I just perhaps emphasize it in a slightly different way, is that a key to all the things I'm talking about and all the things perhaps that you are striving for is the breathing, the breath. In a certain sense, the breath is the beginning and the end of yoga. But the breath becomes ever more all-encompassing. It's very, very deep subject. Would you now like to just try breathing for a minute? I could say, are you breathing? <laughs> yeah? Yeah. We are, my teacher often says, are you breathing? Because mostly we're, we're not really, we're just doing the minimum to stay alive. And this, uh, just perhaps one or two very, very simple things in connection with breathing. This is not a yoga or a meditation class, I guess, it's supposed to be a lecture. So I won't spend too long or go into too much detail about this. But I would like us to give ourselves a few moments to breathe and then perhaps to notice one or two things about it. So I already noticed one or two people shifting their position. We tend to sit in postures where there's tension. Um, so now I can see people have changed that. And if we are comfortable, but fairly upright. And let us say for the space of about three or four breaths, good if you close your eyes, just breathe let yourself breathe and be aware of how you're breathing without in any way trying to change anything.
I'm now going to ask you to place your right hand on the center of the breast and the left hand below that on the solar plexus, perhaps a little feeling the abdomen. Continue breathing and notice how the abdomen, the solar plexus, the stomach, the breast, how they rise and fall. Let it happen, but feel your body with your hands and feel your hands with your body and if possible enjoy that feeling give your body, give your hands love and appreciation feeling your breath being in your breath and now notice you breathe in there's a flowing movement flowing movement a rising movement of the body if you like and the air is moving flowing inside you and then with the out breath the air is flowing outwards you can even feel the air flowing over the upper lip you can feel the body again sinking in some way try and bring your awareness now quite strongly to these flowing processes. Now you may notice something else. After the in-breathing, there's a natural culmination, like the tip of the wave, a natural pause. Now just notice this natural pause, don't try to lengthen it, and notice the moment when you let go and breathe out. and appreciate that moment of pause even though it's very short and you're not trying to lengthen it notice how deeply silent it is even though you are holding your body as it were in a certain tension because you're holding the air in there's a kind of silence or gathering of energy there
right, we can gently let the hands go, but continue with eyes closed for a moment, continue the breathing, the conscious awareness of breathing for another minute or so. Then let your attention wander a little away from the breathing and just listen to the bird song outside. then we can let that go would you like to continue all evening like that shall I leave the rest of the lecture (laughs) how was that Mm -hmm. (coughs) yes what happened pardon you were in your own space yes and when you listened to the bird song yes what was it yeah. Yes, right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. So that was a relatively short experience, but I hope you all felt it did you good. And it was relatively simple to carry out. <coughs> now, this is a mere beginning. I could have taken just that simple experience a great deal further, but for that then we need a different kind of occasion but I want to point out one or two things and you can just tell me if what I'm saying uh, coincided with your experience we breathed in there was a flowing of air a flowing of energy we came to a turning point where there was a natural pause I described as the tip of the wave and later I pointed out if you pay attention to that moment there's a deep stillness silence Did anybody feel this, or did you feel it differently? Breathing in, silence. Breathing out, and I didn't mention this, but you have to pause before you take the next breath. Another silence, but a different silence. Yes. Yeah, the one outside. Yeah, good. That's very good. Yes. Both are very important. And these are very simple but very deep processes of meditation. You can find them already in very ancient treatises of Kashmir 
Shaivism, the Shiva religion of Kashmir, just this study of the breath and what happens at these two poles and between. If you go into that deeply enough, as I say, you will arrive at the door of, for those it was Shiva or Bhairav or God, whatever you like. These are really very great keys. Moving in time, pause inside, flowing out, and another kind of pause, another kind of silence outside. And in both cases, you also notice that minute moment of changing. Yeah? Breathe in, this natural holding, and there's a moment I let go. And this tiny moment of letting go is a very, very precious moment. I will even go as far as to say, if you can experience this moment, you can change your life. I say that, I assert that, and if anybody doesn't believe me, I can, if you like, prove it by getting you to do it. You breathe out, and just at the moment where you're turning to take in again, you notice that moment. These are very, very precious moments. Now, after we had done this for a while, I asked you to listen to the birds. And the birds were very far away, and just then the birds stopped singing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, quite. How was it when you were listening for the bird and it wasn't singing, but you knew it was there because you'd heard it before probably, and it did come again in the end. What was it like when you were listening for it, but it wasn't actually singing? Yes, yeah. Yes, you're hovering. Yes. <laughs> could be, yes now I don't know if any of you yet you say you've worked a little or maybe a lot with the feeling of space when you're listening for the bird out there in deep silence how big, how wide is your awareness yeah, yeah you see there's a real for people who practice this at least there's a very definite expansion it's as though some part of your being, some part of your aura, actually expands out there. The problem with a lot of people is that they are expanded, but in a very unconscious, chaotic way, and they don't know the center. They're not grounded, yes. Now, a very good rule for the spiritual life and for your spiritual development is as much as you expand, you ground yourself, but this grounding is going inward to the center. How big is the center? Now, the smaller and more concentrated the center is, the greater can your expansion be. So the more you center yourself, the more small it becomes, but the more concentrated, like a laser, if you like. More fine, more precise. Your consciousness becomes ever finer. You find this inner thread, we sometimes talk about the diamond ray that goes through the central axis, finer than a hair, but diamond unbreakable, a thread of light, a ray of light that connects you with the divine and connects you with the center of the earth. Every human being is equipped with this energy ray. It was a special work of Jesus Christ, of Yeshua, to bring this on earth. But the human being has to activate it. It's there as a potentiality with every human being, whether they're Hindu, Muslim, communist, atheist or whatever. 
you realize this ray inside you center yourself then and only then can you safely and easily expand now if you've mastered this breathing if through your breath and we breathe on many levels not just on the physical level we can go inwards and we find that we can go deeper and deeper and deeper inwards and we can breathe out and go out, 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 out then our sense experiences for instance become much more satisfying much deeper how is it then that you can sit on a lawn which is full of little daisies and be totally saturated with this experience because your breathing in your inner and subtler breathing as well as your physical breathing goes deeper, deeper, deeper if you like right to the center but this center is infinite you know the center of a circle has no dimensions it is infinite but infinite on the inner end and then your awareness can go out into the infinite and this kind of breathing, I said we breathe on more levels than just the physical but the more our breathing becomes healthy, the more our etheric body, our life energies breathe rightly, all our organs breathe um, our chakras begin to breathe in a healthy way the subtler parts of our being, all our soul spheres begin to breathe then the soul becomes healthy we expand, we are filled with the sense experiences we have an experience that leads us outwards but leads us equally inwards now a lot of people, most people at some point in their lives get married or they end up with a partner of some kind and these days we notice that more and more there are problems with these kind of relationships and in a way we could say it's the same kind of problem you get used to your partner sitting there and nothing very much is really happening between you you forget to that the real presence of someone else is below the level of information very 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 much on other levels is weaving and streaming between you but our present way of life tends to obliterate that or at least to obliterate it from our awareness uh, somebody once suggested that I did therapy for couples I really didn't want to do this and didn't think it was my task but she said I want to bring my husband you please do it with us so I said alright so I did so I sat them on two chairs and I got them singing tones to each other in certain ways and their relationship improved enormously very quickly because they suddenly realized that what happens between people mostly doesn't happen at the level of the intellect of information and their sense experience of this, each other has also got dampened down but once you begin to open the human being and allow him, her to live again your joy in each other can again flow these things can be really refound they just get buried I have to say under piles of information this is a very big chapter and I don't want to go into it in great detail but this is an important aspect that we we need to realize that the real streaming between people happens at a level on which we are mostly not aware but we can cultivate this and nourish it and make it healthy so I'll come on to the next chapter which is this, it's a story from the Bible 
Uh, I forgot to bring the paper on which I carefully wrote it out, so I have to just tell it to you. This is a parable of Jesus. In the last week of his life, according to the Bible, I think we got it from, was it St. Matthew? Yes, it was St. Matthew, where Jesus in the St. Matthew Gospel told a lot of parables, or gave a lot of lessons that were a kind of warning nature. And this was just in the week of his passion, or I would probably say in the language of uh, the initiatic language, in the week of his initiatic death and resurrection. And the story goes like this. There was a wedding to be held, and there were ten virgins. In the modern version that I read, they said there were ten girls. They didn't think for the modern mind the distinction between girl and virgin was important. But spiritually, it is important. These were virgins, and you know the story, of course. I suppose you do. They had their oil lamps ready for when the bridegroom would come. Now, in an Eastern wedding, it's still like this today in India, the bridegroom with his party comes to the bride for the wedding. And it's very interesting how they set it up. They hire a big piece of land or they take a big garden or something. They set up a huge palatial looking um, tent, like a marquee, very ornate, very elaborate, because they usually expect hundreds of people and there's a huge feast. But the entrance is like a corridor, very decorated. Well, the bridegroom comes and his procession uh, takes maybe an hour and a half or two hours to come maybe 500 yards through the town. There's bands, there's fireworks, there's goodness knows what. It's a big hoo-ha. And nobody knows exactly when he comes. The story in the Bible in that way is quite true. I've been to a few Indian weddings and you can fall asleep before the bridegroom comes. You can be sitting there just waiting, waiting, waiting. Now, an oil lamp is something special in India they consider that candles are rather impure and compared to an oil lamp for a ceremony they would use oil that's a little basin with oil and a wick you know a piece of cotton wool if you like so the five wise virgins had their oil lamps ready and they had their extra supply of oil and the five foolish virgins had forgotten to buy extra oil they didn't have enough oil so the story goes that they were sleeping. Then the cry came, the bridegroom is coming. And the foolish virgins noticed that they hadn't got enough oil. So they asked the others, can you give, me, give us some? They said, no, 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 there won't be enough for us if we give to you. Go buy some. So of course they went off to the shop at midnight. And by the time they came back, the procession was over, the doors were shut, and they couldn't get in. They weren't admitted. It says in the Bible, the bridegroom would not let them in. He said, I don't know you. Very severe, rather unjust, rather unkind. What is meant here? Oil is a strange substance. I don't know a great deal about it. I've experienced it, of course. But it seems to me to be a mixture of fire and water. It's a liquid, but it burns. And for the lamp, for the flame to be there, there has to be oil that can rise up into the wick and the flame can take hold of it. Now this process in itself can be seen as an equivalent of the bridegroom, the flame, coming into the place where the bride will receive him. 
in an Indian wedding the bridegroom comes in with this big big procession etc goes and sits on a throne and there's a whole lot of photographs and all this kind of stuff music, dancing The the bride is brought in most elaborately dressed you wouldn't believe how an Indian bride is covered in jewelry and silk and you wouldn't think that a human being could bear so much decoration and she's brought in very slowly and if it's a nice wedding they'll have nice music while she comes in she's accompanied by all her maidens perhaps virgins and she's brought in to be received by the bridegroom that's how it goes so we are talking about a process that is outside in the world but refers to very deep processes in the human being what is the equivalent in us where is our inner marriage because that is what it is about you know there's a famous text of Christian Rosenkreutz the chemical wedding of Christian Rosenkreutz the mystical marriage you must have heard of such things the coming together of the oil and the flame the flame can't be there unless the oil is there and concentrated then into this wick there must be a flowing and it seems from this parable that it is our responsibility to see that we have enough oil and that we cannot actually take oil from another person now I described I think it was on Sunday in Sherborne rituals in India they say these rituals used to be all over the world but they're now only in India where they have a raised up stone an upright stone held in a vessel and they anoint this stone they pour water, milk, honey ghee, that's clarified butter they sometimes put precious oils on it and so on very strange you think why do they waste all these substances on a stone then they wash it all away with water and then to cap it all at the end they pour some water which has got a bit of all these substances mixed together in it and then of course the whole thing has to be cleaned up for the next uh, ritual what is going on there? I have spoken about the ray of the I am and I've spoken a great deal in these days about the divine seed of the human being or the divine spark which is really the seed of God in us that which we really ultimately are we are this seed, this light spark that which we really mean when we say I I am this is really the fundamental identity of the human being and everything else the physical body, the soul, the feelings all our energy sheets this is woven around that but we are not ultimately the rest of this we know that this body will one day fall away it has gone through processes of growth and one day it will no longer be habitable for us we're perhaps not quite so sure of what happens to our biography what about all we've experienced all that we've lived through what happens to that when this body falls away are we that are we the body and of course somebody who's entering onto the spiritual path knows I cannot say that I am the body though I have a very deep relationship to it 
and without it I don't know how I would conceive of my existence perhaps but what is it for? why do we have to have it? if we're going to cast it off at some point and why do we have to go through all these processes in life if they're all going to fade away to disappear now creation happens from two poles two points of view I've been describing this a great deal also lately we can think of the ultimate source of creation however we want to envisage that I've described this process in great detail in other lectures so I'll just hint at it here if you think however you conceive of this of the divine source which we could call God if you like in a state of stillness of unity before and after the creation we also have to say of course before anything was after anything is we are now in a dimension beyond time and space now for creation to arise there has to come a kind of polarity this unity begins to become a duality or polarity and we have the one pole which is this eternal moment and the other pole which gradually evolves into that which weaves in time and space we call the one the father pole or the masculine pole the other the motherly female pole in Indian mysticism and other mystical traditions uh, well in Indian yeah we could call the father pole Shiva and the feminine pole Shakti Shakti meaning power and yet essentially they are one when the soul is entering into earthly existence we also then have the divine seed of the human being which is equivalent to the Shiva the father ground this light seed this spark of the human being and from this there is projected I'm talking now about a kind of embryology or the embryology before the physical embryology a kind of spiraling down to a base another pole and the there detaches itself or projects out of this a kind of feminine pole which we call the fire of kundalini a kind of flame which then later becomes the base of the spine so what I'm talking about is what in the embryo becomes the top of the head and the base of the spine and between this polarity is a tension like the tension on the string of an instrument by which then the whole embryo grows so we are as far as our physical being is suspended between this spark this divine spark of the I am and the kundalini fire I could also say we're suspended between the eternal moment or that which is beyond space and time and the whole base of the unfolding in time now Shakti or Kundalini wants to reunite with Shiva the mother wants to find again the unity with the father that which is in time and space which forms and things die and they form again everything connected with our journey through time and space all that wants to be gathered up and united in a kind of essence with the source, with the Shiva pole if you like again I'm describing 
the spiritual process in whatever tradition it is including the real Christian tradition Jesus Christ was also in his way talking about these very things so when we light our lamp we need oil and we need a wick so that the flame can arise the oil represents all that we have been able to unfold to develop out of our experiences in time and space it's an essence of all that we create out of everything we experience an essence and this provides a fuel which can then that the flame can take hold of this is really the union of the bridegroom with the bride so it is very important that we create out of ourselves really we are creating ourselves out of all that we experience every day we went from event to event we got up we did our meditation perhaps we had a shower we said our prayers, we did whatever we do, we had breakfast, we went to work, we had this, this, this and this experience. It goes on every day like this. But deep inside us we are receiving impressions. Why did I talk so much about breathing out and breathing in? Because with everything that happens outside of us and we perceive, or we register unconsciously, it leaves inside a trace of some kind and out of what remains inside we weave a kind of essence we may do this or we may not we can live through life very carelessly very unconsciously or we can become aware that everything that we perceive that we register outside lives inside us and we can out of this prepare if you like the bridal chamber I have to put it like this it's very difficult to explain these things uh, but I could explain it more spiritually technically I'm not sure if it would help you perhaps I will have a try I've said space and time we experience through space and time but when we begin to become aware more deeply of what I'm talking about we learn to take an essence of our experiences and to mold a kind of inner space it's as though we're entering something that is between our normal experience of time and space and the timeless stillness of spirituality we begin to enter in between realms we begin to weave our inner space perhaps at this point I'll turn to my pictures I'm going to do a bit of shameless self-advertising I've got a whole lot of reproductions of my paintings but what I'm saying applies to any artist and I've got couple of original paintings there are two of them that are visible from here now nowadays people who paint rather in the way that I'm painting are rather painting not so much what they, well not at all what they exactly see outside but are much more painting the kind of impressions or processes that they sense inside in response to the outer world and this is really the subject of painting this happens anyway when you paint even if you do paint exactly you try to paint exactly what you see outside you're painting a certain response of your soul to what you've seen outside and some people paint more than in response to the life energies that would correspond to the one picture there and some people would paint more according to 
certain feelings that arise that would perhaps more correspond to the other picture the third picture I want to leave out for the moment because we can't really see it but on different levels inside us on the level of our metabolism our life processes there are certain traces left and on the level of our more subtle feeling bodies there are traces left so if your boss in the office says to you hurry up with that will you that leaves a trace in your life forces perhaps something a bit like a hammer blow and in your feelings it again leaves a trace that's not very nice if, you're, if you greet your boss or your colleagues in a way where there's a real beautiful exchange hello, good morning, nice to see you that leaves a different trace a different stamp on your life forces a different perhaps something like an inner glow in your astral body, in the soul body good morning, lovely morning, nice to see you Say, for instance if they mean it then something in you is perhaps a bit like an opening flower now I've already pointed to perhaps the last main point I want to bring tonight must be getting towards 9 o'clock oh yes, ok, good um, that everything that we perceive outwards leaves its traces inside but these traces are not just a photo of what happened outside it actually creates something inside there was a very nice saying by Rudolf Steiner that if you hear a musical tone outside it leaves a trace inside more like a colour and if you see a colour or a form outside it leaves something inside you that's more like music I was thinking to try out something like this with you I did actually last time I was in Froome we did a few very nice little experiments which I think people enjoyed where we were a little bit exploring the inner realm and how we respond to art and how the different art forms leave different traces or different responses in our body so perhaps I'd better just come to my uh, just clear this main point that I'm making everything that happens to us whether we register it consciously or not and we do register everything leaves a trace inside and we are of course all the time leaving traces outside in other people now you can begin if you cultivate your inner life to notice these impressions and on the one hand to deepen them to cultivate them or if they're not very pleasant to smooth them out to transform them if you realize that your boss has made a few dents in your life energies by saying hurry up there what do you think you're doing this kind of thing you can learn through spiritual work through the cultivation of the breath to iron that out not let it get to you and on the other hand you can learn the beautiful impressions to say yes that was important that was beautiful I must remember it and by remembering and gathering these beautiful impressions you create the oil you create the vessel which can ignite the flame I have noticed that I've been told this by my teacher but I've noticed from my own experience if I deliberately decide that I'm going to create an inner space full of positivity love hope, joy and I do it genuinely not just from the intellect I'd like to be like this I have a happy smile but down here I'm really growling um, but if I really do it 
and then for instance I go and look at the sun which I often do early in the morning perhaps even as we do in our circles we do a kind of song or a prayer or an exercise for the sun if I've really done this tried to create a very positive beautiful inner space it is sometimes quite extraordinary what pours itself into me from the sun but by cultivating your positive and good experiences you open the way you create a vessel that can receive more now the sun is pouring down to us all the time most of the time we don't notice it at all it goes right through us as though we were a sieve but in that we cultivate our inner life we cultivate a beautiful inner space we transform that in us which is difficult, which is problematic we are able to receive what otherwise would simply pass right through us unnoticed and thereby our bridal chamber or our oil becomes more precious now the divine seed in us that spark of God remains basically enclosed in itself in actual fact we say in yoga it is enclosed in a kind of blue capsule it is protected so that no negative force can get at it and as such it is more potential than active in us but for a person who really reaches spiritual illumination high stage of spiritual development for a person who really reaches the next stage in evolution before which we now stand this blue capsule opens and this inner flame, inner spark actually unites with our being, with our inner oil if you like and that which was in time and space gets taken up into that which is eternal beyond time and space the inner marriage takes place so we are really preparing this oil or in another parable of Jesus Christ told at the same time we are preparing our wedding garment we weave this out of our deepened perceptions out of our cultivation of our inner life now there are many traps on the spiritual path and there are some people who try very hard to cultivate an inner life they like to have beautiful attitudes beautiful thoughts and so on and so forth but they're not really doing it out of that center of truth in themselves it's a little bit look like looking in the mirror you know if I can look in the mirror and I can you know adjust my hair and put on a nice face and we do that this is very very typical and it's a very one of the most difficult problems we have to overcome on the spiritual path we're constantly looking in the mirror and trying to improve our image but we're not really looking in the mirror to see what we really are and for the process that I'm talking about we have to strive more and more and more to an absolute and total truthfulness honesty with ourselves total inner clarity like a diamond in Tibet they talk about the diamond vehicle the diamond yoga where there's no more lie no more untruth no more pretense no more posturing no more trying to be something only then can we really create this pure inner room only then can we fully and totally say on the out breathing part become love 
the in-breathing equivalent is I come to myself, to this diamond clarity, to this total truthfulness and in the out-breathing the same force becomes love love that is real love that is not demanding, expecting but love that is simply pouring out the positive creative, creative energy which is the energy of God the sounds of nature, the different sounds of nature, we need them yes. and they, they speak to different parts of our being the more that you lose the sounds of nature, the more different subtle parts of your being begin to die we are like, this is one thing I wanted to say, oh yes I just remembered a point I wanted to make we could compare ourselves to musical instruments and those of us who've had musical instruments know that if you keep your instrument in tune and if you play it it will make a beautiful sound and the substance, even the wood, the strings will stay in a good condition you have your beautiful Stradivarius but you neglect it, don't play on it even the substance, the instrument will decline and it's like that with us we need to nourish our fields of resonance not only in sound but in sight in color etc so that's really we should, it's amazing about the nightingales and we should be very grateful to them that they're still there we should welcome them perhaps it's the healing vibrations of sound yes mm. yes which are very important yes and I've noticed the majority of people have got very divorced from nature. Yes. Yes, that is so. And even if they go out into the countryside, uh, they either make a noise or chatter mm. and miss mm. nature, either seeing it or hearing it. Yes, that's quite so. That is. And how many amusements are we trying to devise in nature now? And that's why we must be very awake we mustn't condemn the rest of humanity but we must make, create opportunities where people can have other, ex other experiences for instance in India, in Nepal most of the great mountain peaks are being climbed now well there are some mountaineers who really do this as a very great deed of worship to the mountain but they do say, the Nepalese and the Indians there are certain mountain peaks which you can't climb you must leave these, they are holy and we must create spaces where people can experience nature but where they don't get the chance to pollute it we really need to create these spaces to allow them to be